Hello, I'm Marcus Alton from the tribute website brianclough.com and welcome along to this Green Jumper collection. We'll be looking back at just a few of the many highlights from the guests in 2023. You'll hear from cluffy legends like John Robertson, Archie Gemmell and Viv Anderson, plus stories from journalists who work closely with Cluffy over the years. But first, here's an extract from the conversation with the former midfielder and fans' favourite, Brian Rice, who recalled the times when Cluffy would phone him at home. Yeah, I used to live in Turney's Key. You know, I lived in Turney's Key and I used to walk across the training and when we finished games at night time and coming home late, it was great. I was in bed by the time of this and got across Trent Bridge. Uh, and he found this out and he used to... <laughs> used to call me on a Wednesday. It was always a Wednesday. That was roughly our day off. Well, we got a few days off, but I always recall it was a Wednesday. There was no mobile phones. It was a, your house phone. And the first time it rang, I answered it and it says, Scotsman, come and keep me company. And I, Where are you, gaffer? I'm in my office. Get yourself across. So my wife was working. So I went away across one Wednesday morning about half eleven. And there was sandwiches. Carol's secretary had got sandwiches and there was beer and whatever else there. I'm going to teach you about cricket, young man. And that was me at half past five. And that became a regular occurrence. In fact, it became that much of a recurrence. I moved. You know, my, my wife said, I can't have this every week. I come back. And I actually moved up to Ed Walton to, and I say that's the reason, but that's not the reason. But it was, no, it's, it's, it was brilliant. You know, it's just, it took time for me. It took time for me. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but yeah. It was a bit of a soft spot, I think he had for me. You just hung in, I just hung in his every word. Yes. I hung in his every word, you know, but, and that was the start of the love affair. Yeah. How were things different to what you'd been used to in Scotland in the, in the way that Forrest, you know, went about things or how Cluffy went about things with training and getting ready for matches? I mean, if we go back to my debut, we played on the Tuesday night at Anfield and the next game was Leicester away on the Sunday. And on the way back down on the bus, he came up the bus and he says, fantastic night, lads. Same team Sunday. I'll see you at 12.30 at the city ground. This was a Tuesday night. And I looked and the lads are looking and saying, don't say anything. I says, what have we got to do? What do he says, no, I just turned up on Sunday. The boys told me, just turn up Sunday. We've got to play again Sunday. I said, this is strange. I've never seen anything like this. Because up in Scotland, there was a lot of physical work, a lot of running. Everything was so different. This was a completely different environment to anything else I'd ever encountered. Uh, and to be told that Tuesday night, you're playing Sunday but you're not training. And they said, don't come in and do extra. Do not come in and do extra. I remember he, he shut the physio's door, told the physio to take a week off and then he was injured just to come back when they were fit. Uh, I remember he, he locked the gym. He didn't like us doing gym work. Yeah. When we did get a day off, you know, we didn't really do a lot of crossing and finishing or shooting or anything like that. And the kids would be in training all week, so we'd, we'd come in on a day off. And I remember I came in on my day off, and I went over my ankle and done my ligaments. And he went crazy at me. He went crazy at me. He sent me home for a month. And just says, come back when you're fit. You know, and it was a lesson to me. You know, he was doing it for a reason. For a reason. He had his own unique way. Uh, and this was this was the Brian Clough way. And it worked. Yes. You know, that's, that's the key to it all. Whatever he did, worked with that squad we had and at that and before us and before us I must say whatever whatever he had was magical and and the results are there to prove it Hi it's Viv Anderson you're listening to the Green Jumper podcast
Is it right that you were among the players to to break a curfew uh, at night and perhaps nip out for a few drinks? That was that was after we'd won the European Cup. Ah, <laughs> I think you're entitled to go out after that. <laughs> Mr. Club, Mr. Club said, "Everybody stay in because the wives and the girlfriends were in 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 Madrid." Right, and uh, there was uh, I think it was about six of us. Uh, said, oh, "I'm not staying in European Cup. No chance of staying in." <laughs> so uh, we went and we got to the door, and I always a vivid vivid memory of John Robertson at the door waving us off. He wouldn't dare break the curfew just in case what the manager is saying. Oh. He said, oh, I can't risk it. I can't risk it. And we're going, forget it. You're going to be in a better position. Just what the European Cup, you're having a laugh. So uh, it was uh, quite quite funny as happens. But, uh, yeah. Did, yeah you have, was... did, did you have a good night? Yeah. Well, I can remember, yeah. It was a long time ago, yeah. No, da- no doubt we would have done, yes. You played alongside Kenny Burns, of course, uh, in defence, who Brian... Uh, often referred to as Kenneth. Did he call you yeah. Vivian? No, he never no. called me Vivian. <laughs> um, no. I was happy if he called me anything, but he, he called me by he'd call me Viv. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. no, he, um, he was all right. Didn't have a nickname for me. No. Yeah, he was all right. No. Well, you you went on to play for Arsenal and, and Manchester United, and how did the preparations for matches under Cluffy? differ from the preparations at those other clubs you went to? Well, I, I went, to, as you rightly said, I went to Arsenal from Manchester United. I went when everybody left then. There was, only, there was only myself. And I think Ian Bowyer left. I think John Robertson left. Kenny Burns left. Tony Woodcock left. They all, they all went in different times. Yes. So um, I'd go to the Arsenal. And with first game at Arsenal, there was a big dossier on the players you're playing against, the the formation, this, that, the other. Yeah. We never had anything like that. Mr. Clough would come in maybe five to three. You'd probably see, wouldn't see him in the week. And five to three, he'd come in and he'd pick a ball up and say to me or Larry Lloyd or Kenny Burns, you pass it to him because he can play and you can't. Some things like that. So yeah, it, yeah. he made it very, very simple to play under him, but very enjoyable at the same time. Yeah. Now, in this feature-length documentary, Local Heroes, um, you join Tony Woodcock, Gary Bertels uh, as well in, in telling the story of basically how three Nottingham lads beat the odds to reach the, the pinnacle of football and, and, and worldwide fame, really. What was it like for you going back to, to the Clifton estate in Nottingham where you grew up? First and foremost, you've got to remember... I looked. I watched the European Cup final or the Champions League Cup final, yeah. and you do well to find three people in the same country. No mind the same city. <laughs> so the only one you can think of is Phil Foden, but no, everybody mm. else is all over the place. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a unique story in itself, and it's a story that uh, resonates not just for Nottingham, but anybody who wants to try and get on to be a footballer. Um, we all played in the young Elizabethan league which is unique. We're yes. all the similar ages. Uh, well, I think Gary's born on the same day as me. I mean, wow. it's bizarre how it all, all comes together, you know? It is. So it's it's worth watching in, in that respect. Yes, so yes. Your, your question was? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I watched the documentary and I saw you visit the park where you actually yeah. played with your mates. And, and it must yes. have been the first time you'd been there for many, many years. Oh, gone 20 years, yeah. Yeah, what was it oh, like? 20 odd years. Going back. I mean, 
well, well, it's got goals now, which it never had before. <laughs> used to put uh, coats down or whatever it may be, but it hasn't changed dramatically that much. Yeah. And it's still there. And uh, as I said uh, in the film, I, I remember coming back in 66, walking back on my own, thinking, where is everybody? And obviously the World Cup final was on the television. So I didn't think, I didn't, I'd never registered with me. It's only when I got home realised yeah. what what uh, what I was missing. But um, yeah, it was happy times. It was literally five minutes walk and uh, we'd play all hours until somebody or my mum would shout or go to the corner and shout me in for my tea. Yes. So it was it was uh, happy times and uh, very enjoyable to go back. But as I say, I haven't been back to that park for gone 20 years. Another fascinating chat came when I spoke to Archie Gemmell, who played for Cluffy at Derby and Forest and later became a key member of the coaching staff at the city ground. What I think everybody liked about him was that everything he was telling you was truthful. You know, if you didn't play well, you were told. If you did play well, you were told. So the things he said to you to make you possibly a better player or whatever... They always came to fruition because uh, a number of times uh, when I was at Derby, when I started, uh, I used to get rollicked at half-time and I used to think I was playing well. But he was—he always said to me, if, I didn't, if he didn't stay on top of me, I wouldn't become what I thought I was then at the time. Yes, he wanted to keep you on your toes, yes. basically, yes. I, I was speaking to um, Alan Hinton on a previous podcast and he was singing your praises from those Derby mm. days. He said, you know, you would cover every blade of grass, so skilful. One time, I think your boot came off in the mud, you stopped, put it back on and carried on running. Yeah. Um, but he said one thing that was interesting, you probably paid, played better when you were maybe riled by something and he said Clough and Taylor would probably think to themselves how can we make Archie really mm. angry today? Did you see that side of it? Well not particularly at the time but on occasions I was I thought I'd played well at half time up at half time and the half time team talk was me getting slaughtered by your useless why did we sign you, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it yeah. gave me a little bit more, which I didn't think it needed, yeah. uh, because some of the things that were passed on weren't very nice. No, but, no, uh, no. You, you, you didn't feel you could sort of speak back or talk back to, oh, no, to I them? I, 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 no, I had my say. Yeah. You know, you may as well stick up for yourself. Yeah. You know, so that... They would say I was absolutely useless and I would say sort of something like, well, what game are you watching, you know? And uh, we, had, we had a lot of good times, but yet to take the... Yeah. ..the now and again. Yeah. In a way, I think, from what I've heard, sometimes he liked people having a go back and sticking up for themselves. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, because, well, that, that's... You've got to do a few feel that you have done well then you've, you've got to stand up for yourself. Yeah. I've got um, a, a copy of Shoot magazine from 1980 here, and um, there's a letter 
which says it is quite critical of Clough and Taylor at the time for some of their transfer dealings. And uh, one's about Ian Bowyer going. You're also mentioned. And it says, his, his departure from Forest reminds me of when Clough and Taylor sold Archie Gemmell, which was another bad mistake. Uh, and I think Forest fans will miss uh, the creative and experienced play. Mm. And if you, if you look at the bottom of that... It says Marcus Alton Loudham, and that's me. All right. <laughs> that, that's a long time ago. That's a long, long time yeah. ago, and I was very proud to have that letter that um, time, yeah. published. But I wanted you to see that mm. because you were missed. Yeah. Hello, I'm Colin Barrett. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with Marcus Alton. Thank you very much for listening. I think, generally speaking, you got on quite well with Cluffy, didn't you? What was he like to work for on a day-to-day basis? It was, again, well, I say very, very, very basic. He was my boss, really. So the boss-player relationship, he was a little bit more distant than they probably are today. Um, but uh, the way I describe Brian Clough is that um, I would run through a brick wall for him, and I mean that sincerely, but I wouldn't cross the road to have a drink with him. Now, that sounds a bit strange, um, you know, even though I probably would cross the road to have a drink with him. But I certainly wouldn't have gone out of my way to initiate that drink. Uh, whereas if he said, Colt, you see that wall there? I want you to run through it. I would have done. And th- that was the inspiring man management, I guess, uh, of him. As I say, it's a very basic, very basic talking. He expected you to know your job. He expected you to go across that white line and you make your own decisions. He said he could give you the broad outline of how to perform or what he wants it expected of you. But it was down to you when you crossed that white line. And I think footballers, I might be wrong, but footballers today, they believe that they have to be told every single thing that happens. Whereas I believe you make your own decisions when you cross that white line. You make your own decisions whether you pass the ball, you make your own decisions whether you get up and head the ball, all those things, you make your own decisions. Whereas they think it's somebody else's fault. And, it's, and I believe um, that a footballer, when he crosses that white line, you've had all the information you need, but you have to make decisions yourself when you cross that white line. And on that note, you made the decision that night against Liverpool to take the ball forward. Mm. And it was that fantastic goal, first round of the European Cup. It, was, it made it 2-0 on the night, um, which made it extra special. What can you remember of, of that particular moment and the build-up to it? Well, obviously, we got the first goal with Gary, Gary Burles, um, and we won nil up with uh, 10 minutes to go. We went to five minutes, I think it was. And then, from my point of view, I was just blocking them going forward, and I blocked it once, and then I blocked it twice, and then it fell to Gary Burles on the left-hand side, um, and I just went. And, um, you know, he, he crossed the ball, Woodcock, and then I scored a goal. But the interesting thing afterwards in the dressing room, Martin O'Neill, who was subbed that night, tells the story of Clough and Taylor in the dugout. And Clough and Taylor in the dugout are going, what's he doing? Where's he going? Get back, get back, get back. Oh, brilliant goal, well done. <laughs> and then and apparently in an interview after with yeah. the press, I think one of them said... Um, we always encourage our full-backs to go forward. And I just thought, oh, that's hilarious, that. Because I, I, if I hadn't scored, 
I know there was going to be a fine coming. I know all that sort of thing. <laughs> but from my point of view, it just... I, I was always taught, you know, when you're going forward and when you're, you're trying to engage, you're, 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 if you're in a positive mood, you make sure you're available for somebody else going forward. And that's what we did. Cluffy used to say, get the ball and give it the little fat so-and-so <laughs> on the line and, and then we'll go from there. Um, Robbo was one of these players who would always receive the ball no matter what no matter what was, you know, how, how tight he was being marked, it was always available. He would always make sure that if he couldn't get it, you know, there was, there was something else on. Um, but he was a talented, talented boy who basically didn't know his own ability. I'm in a Nottingham restaurant today because I've come to meet my guest, a European Cup legend who Brian Clough once described as the Picasso of our game. It's John Robertson. Thanks very much for meeting up today, John. My pleasure, thank you. Lovely to see you. Just to revisit that Cluffy quote in full, he said that, give him a ball and a yard of grass, and he was a, an artist, the Picasso of our game. How did you feel when he said things like that? Oh, absolutely fantastic. A player, a man of his stature and the reputation in the game, to think I was a good player was... Really, really great. He did give you some friendly stick about your appearance from time yeah. to time, and your autobiography, of course, was called Super Tramp. Did that bother you at all? No, not at all. I knew that as long as he thought I was a good player and put me in his team every week, that was all that mattered. The rest was just... Yeah, just a little bit of fun, I yeah, guess. Yeah, fun, yeah. Yes. I, I never really believed that he believed what, um, what he was saying to me. I think it was exactly it was fun. Didn't he say once that if he ever felt off colour, <laughs> he'd sit next to you and then feel like Errol Flynn? Yeah, apparently, <laughs> but I didn't think it was that bad. No. He wasn't the most elegant of dressers and he wasn't the most... He wasn't uh, Errol Flynn walking through the door. John was the type that you wanted with, with you all the time, if you were on television, for example, because he would make you good looking. Give him a football on a football field and he made Errol Flynn look like Groucho Marx. In looks. Now, I've got your testimonial brochure here where you're holding up the, the European yeah, Cup yeah. from about 1980, that one. And in it, there's some questions and answers, um, like favourite singer, favourite actor, yeah. and all that sort of thing. So, can you remember favourite singer? Well, you read them up to me. There we go. Right, Ro you ask me. Robbo replies. So, we've got favourite singer. What's your favourite singer? Very, very, I think. Yeah, spot on. Roxy Music. Yeah, Roxy Music, remember, I loved them. They were great. You still like them? Yes, I do. Yeah? I think he's a genius fairy. Now then, how about this? Favourite actor is... Clint Eastwood. Yes. Is it still the he case? still Clint Eastwood. Now, I don't know whether you were having a joke with this answer, but it said, what's your favourite TV show? Columbo. Columbo. Ah, well, you'd put Wurzel Gummidge. Oh, I did like that as well. <laughs> People used to like my impression of it. Well, which I'm not going to do now. So. No, no. As well as your favourite TV show, it asked, which TV programme do you dislike? Oh, that's a difficult one. Give a clue. It's regularly on, even now. And it's not particularly entertainment. Oh, well, no. I, can't, I can't remember. No. Well, it's an unusual answer. The news. Oh, well, I can't remember that. 
No, because, because what you said was you didn't like the news. It's always bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing changes. No, no, absolutely. <laughs>It's no surprise that Cluffy named John Robertson in his Nottingham Forest fantasy football team, which brings us nicely to Brian Clough's Football Fortunes, a game which goes back to the 1980s, combining a board game with computer technology. Decades later, it was given a reboot by Marty Neal, who described how Brian Clough's Football Fortunes was groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. I mean, long before the days of anything but teletext, really. You yes. Know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think, um, yeah, you know, it was on ZX Spectrums, you know, kind of BBC micros, yeah. you know, very, very limited machines. But genius to think they get the machine to do all the, the all the things that are difficult to do in a board game, you know, real genius. So on behalf of David Hall, who the, the original creator and um, who came up with this, I think when he was about 14 ah. and just kept, the idea just kept growing. And then he became a computer programmer yeah. and, and created the original, you know, the story goes, they, they launched the game 1987 at Wembley stadium. Oh. Clough comes along and like really engaged with the whole thing, you know, really, Loved it, had a, had a great time, you know, they had lunch, etc. Yes. Did photographs out on the pitch, but then they played the game out on the Wembley turf. So they had a lot of computers set up ah. and all the journalists were playing the game. Uh, but Brian Clough was actually going around and coaching them all. <laughs> telling them what to do. <laughs> yeah, he, he picked it up pretty quickly. And yeah, yeah. He, he was very competitive and he wouldn't leave until it yeah. was done. So, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. So, uh, and, fantastic. And didn't he have quite a good comment about the computers? Yeah, so he wanted it to walk his dog. He said, I'll, I'll get one when it, it figures out how to walk my dog. <laughs> it was one of the quotes, yes. you know? Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah one of those classic quotes. I think it, I'm, go- <laughs> I'm going to program mine to to pick our team, run the club, take my dog for a walk, and attend board meetings. They're <laughs> <laughs> attending board meetings is genius. Yeah, there was a thought Yes, yeah. although it's interesting because when I launched the, the Cluffy tribute website, Nigel was asked by the media um, about it, his son. And he said, uh, yes, we're fine with it. You know, no problem. Uh, Although my dad wouldn't know a computer if it bit him. (laughs) Well, maybe this is his one exposure. This was the one time he used them. He did, he did. (laughs) Well, now we go from board games to mind games. The subject came up when I chatted with former TV sports reporter Dennis Coath, who had published a book about his career in journalism. Cluffy was the master of mind games before Alex Ferguson or anybody. Mm. And he liked to keep you guessing. He was very good at it. And when you went to do an interview with him, uh, he'd, 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 you didn't know what mood he'd be in. He'd either be delighted to see you and welcome you straight in, or he'd keep you waiting for a long time. And sometimes that could be a very long time. You're waiting outside the office and then he'd eventually appear. And sometimes he'd uh, give you a very quick and succinct interview, and other times um, you couldn't get away. He'd be telling you stories, and it'd be just one, just listening to him tell stories was wondrous. So you never knew, so he kept you guessing. He was the master at it. Yeah. How did it go though in those days? Because there were no official press conferences then, were there? No. Was, it, was it just a case of turning up and hoping for the best? In some ways it was, because um, you tried to fix up an interview through his secretary or whoever, 
And usually on a Friday, if you got down there for about 12 o'clock, he was around. And he did, and you never knew whether he's going to do interviews or, or what. But that was that was the magic of it because he did keep you guessing, and he was well worth waiting for because he was such a brilliant interviewee. I mean, he was just the best. Everything he said was sort of the poles of wisdom. We all have a little grin of ourselves, you know. I am delighted, absolutely delighted. And it's not been nasty or anything like that because it's part and parcel of the nature of us in this country that we don't get sick of people winning everything. And it's a lovely feeling to see somebody come from the, the lower end of the league, so to speak, and then put one over the big boys. Hello there. My name's Gary Newborn. Brian Clough was really important in my career. I interviewed him so many times. I've interviewed the greats over the years, but Cloughy is number one. So make sure that you stay with us on the Green Jumper podcast with Marcus Alton. First of all, the whole of the first chapter of your book is about Brian Clough. What was it like interviewing him on television? Uh, You had to be on your toes because you would never know what he would come out with. And that was really one of his main attractions to the public, I think, that he was outrageous um, and he would always get people watching him. I remember when I first came to the Midlands from Westwood Television, I joined ATV in December 1971. I was soon going into the social clubs to see people that I wanted to interview. And I remember going into the Birmingham City uh, packed social club. They had social clubs in those days rather than all the boxes and everything else that's followed. And there was Jeff Lynn from the ELO. There was Roy Wood from The Move. There were so many stars in there. And they'd all be talking and, and... taking no notice of the lunchtime TV programmes on the ball and football focus on ITV and BBC, respectively. But suddenly, somebody would say, Clough's on, and you could hear a pin drop. Everybody wanted to hear what he was going to come out with. He was just such a magnetic draw. Another one of your interviews led to a, a classic Clough quote after Forrest had drawn three all with Cologne in the um, in the European yeah. Cup semi-final. Uh, do, do you remember that? Yeah. I do indeed, because it was on midweek sports special again. A Japanese uh, substitute came on. You know, the headlines the next day were, you know, Forest sunk by Japanese sub, which was quite a good headline, actually. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do that in this woke world now, but it was a good one at the time. Um, what I would say is that I thought they, I thought the away goal by Cologne um, had done it. And in fact, if Shilton had made a a great save in the uh, away leg, maybe they wouldn't have made it, but they did make it, and that's all that matters. So it was 3-3, and I thought, well, they've done it now. They're not going to win in Cologne, probably, and and those three away goals, you know, they counted when the scores were level after two legs. Anyway, I sort of put it to Brian, and he said, I hope nobody is silly enough to write us off. And anyway, after the return match, when they won 1-0, Ian Bowyer scoring the goal that put them in the final, the 1-0 win in Cologne, Cloughy, after the match, was walking around the track. And there was an athletics track around the pitch on his own, and he called me over and said, hey, come here. Now then, and he put his arm through mine and walked me around. He said, when we drew 3-3 at our place, and I said, I hope nobody's silly enough to write us off, and you drop your microphone, and Brian Moore fell off his stool in London in the studio. You know what I mean now. Now I'll see you at the airport. Good luck. Get off. And that <laughs> yeah. was uh, me put in my place. If you don't see me after half-time, it means you've, you've been bloody rubbish. 
And if you're not rubbish today, that'll be a change. A big thank you to all my guests during 2023 and thanks to you for listening. There have been thousands of downloads from all over the world and you can hear the full interviews by scrolling through the Green Jumper archive. If you've enjoyed listening, then why not support the Green Jumper production costs with a small donation? There's a link to our donation page in the show notes and on the podcast page of brianclough.com and I'll give you a mention on a future episode. Alternatively, you can support the pod and other good causes by visiting our Clough shop. Again, the link is on brianclough.com and you can buy things like key rings or greetings cards or even a book like my new Cloughy book, Brian Clough, The Lost Tapes, which I'll sign for you with your chosen personal message. Thanks again for your support and I hope you can join me again soon for more memories of the great man in the green jumper.